Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast, where we talk to people who matter about the things that matter in the world of financial services. I'm Brandon Russell, online writer here at IFA Magazine, and joining me on the podcast this week is our editor, Sue Whitbread. Hello, everyone. And as Brandon said just then, we, we like to talk to guests about things that matter. And certainly the, the situation in world equity markets is something that matters very much to, to you, our audience. We know that. Uh, in terms of global investment, the US equity markets have tended to steal the limelight. But there are, despite ongoing worries about risks, perhaps from the Chinese real estate sector, it is clear that we just cannot ignore the investment prospects of the world's second largest economy, China. Uh, that's as well as Asia more generally, of course. So with 2024 just around the corner, Brandon and I thought it was high time we covered this topic on IFA Talk. So we're really delighted to introduce today's guest, who is Gian Cortesi. Uh, Gian is investment director at GAM, where she is a member of their global growth equity team and manages Chinese and Asian equity funds too. And Gian, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, Sue. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, great. Our, our, our pleasure. Could I ask you then to start us off today by telling us, telling our audience a little bit about you and a bit about your role at GAM? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jianxi Cortezi. I grew up in China uh, when I was doing my bachelor's degree in Beijing back in the 90s. I started investing in Chinese stocks and fell in love with stock investing. Then in 2000, I went to the U.S. I did my master's in the U.S. And then I worked for seven years in the U.S., mostly with Asian equities, first as an equity analyst and then an investment strategist. And for the last almost 14 years uh, now, I've been working with GAM as a fund manager focusing on Asia and China equity. And in my work, I try to combine a disciplined investment approach with the knowledge of the local market to generate good investment returns for investors. Excellent. Brandon, I think we got the right person. Yeah, definitely. And like Suzette, it's really great to have you on our podcast today. Uh, where do you see the top headwinds and tailwinds relating to China that advisors need to be mindful, mindful of just now? I know that this year, if you look uh, at the financial media, a lot of people have been disappointing with uh, disappointed with China's growth. But uh, let's put the numbers into perspective. According to the IMF, approximately 70% of the global growth in 2023 would come from Asia. And roughly one third of the global growth this year comes from China. And we expect this number to remain high in 2024. So this year in 2023, China should achieve a roughly 5% GDP growth. And we have all read about the real estate weakness in China. So um, on, the, on the negative side, we see that the lackluster real estate activities, particularly in construction, has been dragging the GDP growth. Also in 2023, the global demand has been fairly weak, which has dragged the e export performance. 
And finally, we have ongoing long-term relocation of low-end manufacturing out of China to other lower-cost countries. And that's another drag for the GDP growth. So the question is, what is helping China to actually achieve that 5% GDP growth? Um, the answer is higher value added services or industries. Actually, we can say that China is going through a quite difficult transition from uh, the economic driver being exports, real estate construction, to more and more relying on higher value added industries. So these industries would include, for example, advanced manufacturing in aircrafts, robotics, new energy equipment, including solar, wind. China makes roughly 70% of all things related to energy transition. Um, if we look at solar panels, China has a 70% market share. Electric vehicle battery materials, China does 70% of the refinery of these materials. So China is really a dominating force in the new, new energy equipment. Another area, a positive driver is electric vehicles and, and batteries. China is estimated to become the largest car exporter this year in, two, uh, in 2023. Most people might not have driven Chinese cars, but Chinese car electric vehicles are actually growing very fast. And I think China has a chance to become a dominant player in most of the countries without their own strong car brands. For example, Australia, Russia, or other emerging market countries. Another area that has helped the GDP growth and that will continue to help next year will be consumption focusing on experiences. For example, travel, uh, education. And one more area is related to the technology self-reliance, meaning that um, to have the technology supply chain domestically, for example, semiconductors, um, so that when for example, the U.S. has a ban on the semiconductors. Chinese companies can continue to access these semiconductors for their production. And one more area is the pharmaceutical, biotech, and medical devices. And many people may not know, but China is actually growing very fast in these areas. Um, there are some contracted research and manufacturing companies in biotech that quite, uh, quite major players in China that um, provides the service to all the large global pharmaceutical companies. And finally, another factor that has been supporting the growth is the fiscal spending, for example, focusing on social housing. And also there is the positive spillover domestically from the One Belt, One Road initiatives. So when you put all of these positive factors together, they have been able to offset the negative headwinds and still allow China to achieve a roughly 5% GDP growth. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. So let me take us on to another theme now. Then you've mentioned some of the, the really strong uh, head tailwinds now that are supporting Chinese development in so many different sectors. So could you summarize for our audience where you feel the benefits of China 
are our strongest compared to other regions. And also, if you wouldn't mind just, uh, just sharing some views on where the main risks are too. So if, if we look at why investors would invest in any country, uh, our belief is that investors should invest in a country where this country is particularly strong. Uh, so when it comes to China, we see currently three reasons why investors should look at China. So the first area are some specific fields that China is strong in, where investors have less opportunities to find in other countries. One example is the clean energy supply chain, as I mentioned. So if we take solar alone, you have a complete solar supply chain from the raw materials to the solar panels, to the converters, and to the solar equipment manufacturing. So we are talking about you know, dozens of companies to choose from. And this is, as we know, an industry with very strong tailwind. And China also makes most of the clean energy products at a 30 to 40% cheaper cost compared to the same products made in other countries. So it gives these Chinese companies a specific edge. And um, these strong areas also include, for example, the CDMO, these uh, biotech contract uh, um, research and manufacturing companies. So if we look at some of the leading CDMO players, we find them in China, in Korea, so the second area that we think provide investment opportunities for investors is that I believe that today China is probably a country with the highest investor misconception. So there are a lot of misconceptions that have resulted in mispricing in some of the Chinese companies. And we see, for example, education is a good example. About two, three years ago, the Chinese government rolled out a regulation to limit the after-school tutoring on the weekend for math, uh, English, targeting young children, so children from the first grade till the, the uh, ninth grade, so the compulsive education part. And with that new regulation, investors basically said, game over for Chinese education stocks. And some of these leading companies, they saw their stock price went down 95%. So investors basically said there's no value for these companies anymore. However, some of these companies, they also have other businesses. For example, the tutoring for English, for TOEFL, for GMAT, GRE, and all of these services are not impacted by the government regulation. But nevertheless, you know, investors just dump these stocks and creating extreme mispricing and hence opportunities for investors. So actually, if we look at some of these Chinese education names, they have been performing very strongly since the bottom. And we believe that going forward, they would continue to, uh, they're likely to continue to enjoy a very strong tailwind in the secular growth of education. And the third area, I would say, uh, this, these opportunities are created by geopolitical risk, which has turned out to become a unique opportunity. We know that uh, the US has rolled out a number of uh, restrictions on high-end semiconductors uh, for China not to be able to access these semiconductors. 
as a result of this, there is a huge drive of technology self-reliance in China. Because uh, after Huawei uh, faced the ban on semiconductors, certain of their business were severely disrupted and they were not able to make some of their products. So today, many Chinese companies look at their production and they will say, where are we vulner vulnerable? What if one day we're not able to buy X from another country? Uh, we have to find domestic suppliers. So as a result, we have many clients in China actively working with local suppliers and to help these suppliers to improve on their products. This goes from semiconductors to operating softwares. So for example, uh, we have Chinese companies that make a similar software like Windows. In the past, nobody would use a second Windows. However, because of these um, operational security motive, motives or this self-reliance drive, many Chinese companies are looking at domestic providers for you know, almost all the areas in technology. So this creates a lot of opportunities for domestic te technology companies to grow and to rise. So I think that the risk when it comes to investing in China um, I would say for China is a difficult market for most of the international investors because it has its own unique political system, it has its own unique economic system. The culture is very different and the, the e economy as well as many industries are changing very fast. So all of these create risks for investors if you do not really thoroughly understand the dynamic of the country, the, the economy, the, a specific industry, then it's very easy to, to pick the wrong stocks and uh, to make mistakes. So I would say that in investing in China, this is where expertise can really add value, you know, a deep understanding of the Chinese policies. For example, in our investment, we follow the five-year plan and the 15-year policy outlook to decide which are the industries that are supported by policies in the next five to 15 years. And we know these industries will be growing faster. And then we closely follow any of the changes in the industry dynamic. And this can result in better result, uh, investment outcomes. Having that local knowledge and that experience is something certainly that uh, that you've made very clear, Jian, that, that you have from your past experience. So that's great. Unfortunately, Jian, we are rapidly running out of time. So can we round off today's conversation by asking you to dust down your crystal ball and give us your views on the outlook for Chinese and Asian stocks for 2024 and beyond? Yeah. So if we look at the Asian equities, it has performed quite poorly in the next three last three years. And the main drag has been China. So if we look at China, you know, we know that the confidence has been very weak. If you read the news articles, there have been many negative news articles on China that definitely suppress the investor sentiment. Today, the MSCI China index is still trading at more than 50% below the previous peak. And if we look at the, the valuations of China, as well as Asia, we see that the key indexes are trading at very low valuations. The MSCI China's price to sales ratio 
if we divide that by the price to sales ratio of the MSCI world, it was 1.1 a decade ago. Today, it's 0.5. So that shows how much valuation has contracted. And MSCI China index has delivered almost no performance in the last 10 years, despite the fact that both the economy and corporate earnings have grown significantly in the last 10 years. So for investors like us who look to buy good companies at attractive prices, we actually find the current environment quite exciting where you find many stock investing opportunities. And also if we look at companies, many Asian companies, the large ones, are sitting on a large amount of cash. Many of them have net cash, meaning more cash than debt on the balance sheet. And this, uh, this year in 2023, we have seen more and more companies announcing share buybacks. The large cash level will also allow these companies to pay more dividend. So both could be positive for the stock price performance going forward. And uh, one factor that has been holding has, has been a major headwind for Asia X Japan equity in the second half of 2023 was the strong US dollar. Because of the high interest rate in the US and the strong dollar, it made the US dollar-based assets more attractive to investors and reduced the appetite for non-US dollar assets, including Asian equity. So uh, this remains a major risk for Asian equity. On the other side, if we see any pause of the US dollar strength, that could be positive. And also the weak Asian currencies will help ensure the global competitiveness of Asian products. Oh, Jian, thank you very much for that summary there. Very, uh, very pragmatic, very detailed. And I think it gives us a, a really clear picture of of just some of the things that are going on in China and just reinforces the argument that this is not an area to be uh, ignored. So thank you for your time today and for your insight, we really appreciate that. Thank you, it's my pleasure. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast and value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.